Oh, it feels like Christmas. Come on, isn't it good to be in God's house? Amen. Amen. Hey, as we get ready to get into the Word of God together today, wanted to put this image in front of you one more time uh, for, for clarity's sake. Next Sunday, we will not be here at 10 a.m. I've had someone ask me that every week, so let me be really clear. We are doing two services next Sunday for Christmas Eve. They will not be in the morning, and they will not be at this location. We are moving all of our services to the Performing Arts Center at Eastern York High School. If you don't know how to get there, if you've never been there before, do not let that be the reason you don't show up for worship on Christmas Eve. Uh, it, it, Siri knows where it is. So does Google. Alexa's probably figured it out. Just about any piece of technology you have can tell you how to get there. Uh, and if all that fails, ask somebody sitting next to you this morning. So we're not having a 10 a.m. service. We're not having an 8.30 or 11.30 service next weekend. We're doing two services at 2 p.m., and at 4 p.m., and, and we just, we want to make room for so many people that are hungry in this season to celebrate and to just, to, to whether it's faith or nostalgia, I don't really care what gets them in the door, but people want to come and celebrate Jesus, and we want to be the ones to point them to him, amen? So there's a thousand seats in that auditorium. We're going to have plenty of room for people to come, and we want you to invite people, invite your friends, invite your enemies, invite your neighbors. And let's, let's worship the Lord together next Sunday at 2 o'clock and at 4 o'clock. We have a picture of the inside. If you weren't there at Easter, we did our Easter services there. And that's what the Performing Arts Center looks like on the inside. So it's just going to be a beautiful, beautiful time. I hope you will take advantage of this opportunity to invite some people to come and celebrate our risen Savior. One-hour services. Uh, now, we say one-hour service here, and let's be honest. Sometimes we mean an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, but we're structuring for a 45-minute service because we want to get uh, people in and out in an hour. And so uh, just invite them to be a part of it. We would love to celebrate with you and all your family and friends next weekend. Uh, let me just say this quickly before we get into the word. Tonight, we have something out of the ordinary for us. There's a special business meeting happening tonight right here at 6 p.m. So we're asking all of our church members, if you're a member of this church, uh, then you have a voice in the direction that we move as a congregation. It's gonna be an exciting time tonight. I'm, I'm excited to present the information to you. We're gonna be uh, voting uh, on a decision about a, a potential future location for our church. And so uh, that meeting is tonight at six o'clock. We'll get right into business pretty quickly and not keep you here all night. Let me just say to those of you that maybe you're not a member, but this is your church home. It's not a closed meeting. You're welcome to come. It, it may very well be standing room only, but you're welcome to come and be a part of that. And uh, that's tonight at 6 p.m. Uh, right here. All right. Are you ready for the word? We're like, well, let's get into it. Amen. Yeah, I, I want to speak today. Uh, you can put our, our sermon graphic up there. This is a, a Greek word out of the New Testament. Uh, some of you uh, have never heard this before, and so looking at it, it's odd pronunciation. But if you know, you know. Um, others of you, you've probably studied this, and it's, it's familiar, and so you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that if you know, you know. Uh, but I'm going to explain it to you. I'll, I'll help you with the pronunciation. And some of you are like, I don't get, I don't get why, I don't know where people are laughing. Uh, it's not a Greek word. Okay, it's not in the Bible. Uh, don't try to pronounce it. You would look foolish. Uh, it's an abbreviation for the phrase, if you know, you know. 
And maybe you've seen that before. Uh, maybe somebody sent you that in a message and you're like, I don't know what that means. Spell check's funny that way. I'm just gonna pretend I didn't see that and I don't know what that has to do with anything. But how many of you know it's inside jokes are fun if you're inside, right? Like if you know, you know. But when you don't know, it's really awkward. At least it can be. You know, we're getting, getting ready for Christmas in our house, as I know all of you are too. And uh, one of our traditions as a family is my wife picks out a book every year, a Christmas book, a, a children's book usually. And uh, we've done it from the time our oldest daughter, who's uh, home from college now. She's somewhere in this room. I lost her, but um, so glad to, yeah, oh, there you go. Hey. Sorry, I wasn't going to point you out, but then I was kind of out there. I had to go with it. So uh, from the time Morgan was just a baby, maybe before she was a baby, I don't know, we might have bought them for ourselves, but we've been buying a Christmas book every year. And years ago, we bought one that uh, kind of tells the story of St. Nicholas, you know, the, the history and, and who he was as a person. And so I don't know what your traditions are in our family, but Santa Claus has always been a, a part of the tradition in our family. The girls always get gifts from uh, Santa as well as uh, gifts from us. And... Uh, you know, he's not the reason for the season, but he's been a part of it. He's a part of the celebration, but, but there's a secret about Santa. And if you know, you know. And, and so, uh, like, I heard John, uh, Jonathan Pecluda say this recently. I thought it was so wise. He was talking about uh, Santa Claus and his kids and growing up. And, and he said, uh, you know, all, their kids learned all the, all the traditions and, and celebrated all the festivities and all, all of the things that make uh, Santa Claus legendary, but, but they told their kids, uh, but there's some secrets about Santa. And, uh, and he's special. And then as their kids got a little older, at some point, you know, they, they would come to him and be like, is this the secret? And he would say, yeah, you figured it out. That's the secret. Uh, and then he, and I thought this was so wise. He would say, uh, you know, as you get older, you're going to learn some things you didn't know about Jesus. But I want you to know, you're never going to learn a secret about Jesus that disappoints you. And, and as I was looking at the Christmas story, I, I just, I see some people that uh, at one time they didn't know, but, but then they knew. And, and I want to say knowing changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, when, when, you, when, you, when you know, when you're on the inside, when you, when you have understanding, it changes the way you see things completely. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. God's word tells us very clearly that we don't have to go through life wondering if we're missing the punchline. A lot of people live that way. They, they live this life of faith with this uncertainty that like, what if I get to the end of all of it and I was on the outside of an inside joke? What if I missed the purpose? The Bible is very clear. God has given us a testimony in his word. And, and the reality is all of his word, all of scripture, both the old and the new covenant, it points to Jesus. Jesus is the central figure of the story. In fact, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, the Bible says this, all scripture is God-breathed. It, it's not just ink on the page. It's God-breathed. It's breath on the page. Like the Holy Spirit inspired men to write it, but the breath of God is in the word of God. This is the revelation of holiness and, and mercy and grace for all people. And it all points to one central figure. His name is Jesus. And by the way, he even said as much. Jesus himself said in John chapter 5, look at this verse. It says, you study the scriptures diligently 
because you think that in them you'll have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Jesus was speaking to some scholars of the day. He said, you're, you're, you're looking into the scriptures and you're missing the main point. Even, even at the end of John's gospel, he, he takes a moment to explain why the Holy Spirit inspired him to write his gospel. In John chapter 20 and verse 30, he said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. In other words, the gospel is just a snapshot. There's lots of things Jesus did that we didn't write down. But then he says this, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John said, I, the Holy Spirit inspired me to write this so that you would know that you know that you know. And then years later, he wrote a, a, a smaller letter, the epistle of 1 John. And, and again, for clarity's sake, John says in 1 John 5 and 10, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony, and whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony that God has given about his son. John's conviction was it is so clear that, that God ha has given this testimony through, through his word and through creation and, and through all that Jesus did. It's so clear that this is God's testimony about his son. If you don't believe this about Jesus, you're just calling God a liar. Like you can't, you can't, you can't go down the God path and just ignore the Jesus path. That was John's conviction, who knew him and walked with him and experienced his resurrection. And then he goes on in verse 11, and he says, And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. And whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. How many of you think Christmas is pretty important? <laughs> he said, if you don't have the Son of God... You don't have life. And then he says this. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. What a gift God's word is to us. He said, I've written this so that you in 2023 can know that you have eternal life. You don't have to question it. You don't have to, you don't have to wonder. You can know that you have eternal life. And then he explains a little further in verse 14. He says, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, then whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask of him. It's been said that John wrote his gospel so that you could be saved but he wrote his epistle so that you could be sure. Like 39 times in this little epistle of 1 John, he says, you can know. For eight times, just in this one chapter, you can know. And it's amazing the difference that it makes when you know a thing. It's amazing how your outlook changes when you know you've heard from God. And as I was reading through the Christmas story, I, I wanna just look at a couple of guys, a couple of men in the Christmas story that that knew, they knew they heard from God. The first one is Zechariah. 
His story's in Luke chapter one. Zechariah is the husband of Elizabeth. She's the cousin of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And, and they kind of converge later in the story. But early on, we get a, a snapshot biography of Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. And, and I want you to know what he knows. Zechariah knows that God keeps his promises. And we're gonna see that play out in the story. It says in verse six about both of them. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. That's, that's a pretty good summary of a, a God-fearing person. I mean, if you, if you are righteous in the sight of God, you obey all the commands blamelessly. I think it's safe to believe you're a person that believe God, uh, believes God keeps his promises. You're a person that has pretty strong convictions about who God is and, and that he's faithful to his word. And yet, people that believe that are not exempt from struggles. Could somebody say amen? amen? People that believe that God keeps his promises, it doesn't mean they won't go through difficult days. It doesn't mean you won't, you won't struggle or, or doubt or, or ask questions. And Zechariah and Elizabeth had plenty of reason for doubting because right after this, this incredible biography of their life of faith, we get more details in verse 7. It says, but... They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Now, those are some big conjunctions. Like, yeah, life of faith, but they were childless, but they had spent their life hoping and hoping and waiting and praying and no answer. And... They're both very old. Like that, that's saying in, in no uncertain terms. Like this is not like they're still just kind of hoping. Like it hasn't happened yet. No, no, no. That ship has sailed. They are both very old. In other words, they, they have long since moved away from hoping for a child. And now they're just coping with the reality that this is our lot. We will have no children. And so... We see in the story, Zechariah struggles. Look at verse 8. It says, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. So in other words, it's a rotating thing and you just get chosen by lots. And that literally means like, you know, like if you would throw dice, you would cast the lot. The lots fell on Zechariah. And this is a once in a lifetime gig, by the way, like they had like 20,000 priests and, and this was a special thing. Only one person got to go in and do this. And, and so it's his turn. And it sounds like it's a coincidence when you read it, they cast the lots. But can I just assure you today that, that God, he can use any method he wants to use, but he never operates by chance. Like there's nothing he does that is by chance. It, it might look like the luck of the draw from your vantage point, but God, he can use any method he wants to use. In fact, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33 says this. It says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. I, I, I believe the statement is true that was said, coincidences are just the miracles where God chose to remain anonymous. 
There's no coincidences with God. There's no chance with God. And so Zechariah, it's his turn to go in. And as far as he can see, like he, he just got the golden ticket. It's his, it's his year. But hindsight would tell him that this moment, this roll of the dice, this opportunity to go and burn incense at the altar was just one small detail in God's promise-keeping plan of redemption. And I assure you, if God can keep the earth orbiting on its axis and, and, and making its evolution around the sun, he can control the way the dice fall. And so Zechariah goes in, it's his turn. He's in the temple and while he's there at the altar burning the incense, the angel Gabriel shows up. He's by himself and all of a sudden an angel is there. And look at verse 13. It says, but when the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. You know, it's funny how many people tell me like, you know, man, I, you know, I just, I wish I could just see an angel. Have you noticed every time angels show up in the Bible, the first thing they say is don't be afraid. Like, there's a reason for that. Like, I don't want to see an angel. I'll see them in heaven. I don't really need an angel to come to me right now because I think Zechariah and probably everybody else was scared out of their mind. The angel appears and he says, don't be afraid. But then he gives him the good news. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. Now, you may remember John is, this will be John the Baptist eventually. He's the first cousin of Jesus. But the angel tells him in verse 14, he will be a joy and a delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He'll bring back many people of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Can you just imagine this moment? I mean, you know, the Bible tells us that, that this has been 400 years of, of prophetic silence. I mean, from the time we end with the Old Testament prophets, the reason there's prophetic silence is because God's not speaking. And so the people are waiting and they're anticipating and they're praying that God would send a deliverer, that he would send a, a Messiah, that the Lord would come. Now all of a sudden, Zechariah is at the altar his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to perform this priestly duty. And an angel, Gabriel, shows up and tells him, not only is the Messiah coming, but your wife, who has been barren and who is very old, is about to have a child, and he's going to be the forerunner. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. I mean, how would you imagine that moment? I mean, how, how would you respond to a moment like that, this incredible revelation? Well, I'll tell you how Zechariah responds he doubts it. He doubts it. He, he, he questions the moment. He questions the messenger. He questions the message. He doesn't know. I just don't know. So verse 18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. 
Now, now if you think Zechariah was shocked by the appearance of an angel, I, I think Gabriel was even more shocked by this response. I mean, this angel comes all the way from heaven, shows up, lays out the, the plan of salvation to a priest at the altar. And his response is, I'm not really sure. That thing you said about the kid, I'm old. My wife's old. And the reason I think, I, and I can only, I'm sorry, I can only read this the way that I read it when I read my Bible, but I think Gabriel responds in verse 19. Then the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I've been sent here to speak to you, to tell you the good news. All right, I mean, that's how I read it. Like, what is wrong with you? What more do you need? And the, the next part, I don't know if this was God's plan from eternity past. I kind of tend to think that Gabriel just kind of called an audible at this moment. I tend to think that maybe he's just frustrated and shocked at, at the confusion and, and the doubt. And, and I'm going to ask him one day when we get to heaven. But I, I think this was kind of, I, th I think this was just a pivot. I think he just kind of came up with this right then. Verse 20, Gabriel says, and now you will be silent. <laughs> and you will not be able to speak until this happens. Because you didn't believe my words, which will come to pass at the appointed time. Like this was way before cancel culture. <laughs> but Gabriel's just like mute. Like silence notifications. We will hear from you no more. You are off all platforms. Canceled. And he tells her, you're not gonna speak anymore. Now, here's the deal. Zechariah is still he fits the description that verse six gave us. He's still righteous in the sight of God. He's still observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. He hasn't given up on the hope that God will fulfill his promise of sending a redeemer for Israel. But what he doubts is that God will fulfill his promises to him. Like I, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure you're gonna be faithful to your word, but will you be faithful to me. And so now this righteous man of God is having a conversation with a literal angel at the altar and he's asking the question, how can I be sure of this? Well, most of you know the story. His wife, Elizabeth, she does get pregnant. Apparently she was attracted to the strong silent type. Yeah, I probably, I probably should have left that out. I thought I'd try it a second time, but. Zechariah gets to the, the day of the birth. He's been unable to speak the whole pregnancy. Now the baby's born, and it, skip ahead to verse 57. It says, when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy and had they shared her joy. And on the eighth day, they came 
to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up, and she said, no, he is to be called John. And they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Like, in other words, that doesn't make sense, Elizabeth. But Elizabeth would say, yeah, but if you know, you know. He hasn't spoken in nine months and eight days. Like, his name's John. And so it says in verse 62, they made signs to his father to find out what he would name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Now, it's amazing that, that he's known all this time since he had the conversation with the angel and, and he hasn't been able to speak. And, and now the baby's been born for, we're eight days in now. It's now time for the, the, the circumcision on the eighth day. And, and still, he, he hasn't opened his mouth and said anything. And that just illustrates to me how powerful confession is. I mean, it's one thing to say you believe something. It's one thing to say you know something. But man, when you confess it, when you make a statement, and, and in his case, he had, to, he had to text it to everybody. And so he says, his name is John. And immediately, verse 64 says, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. And verse 66 says, everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be for the Lord's hand was with him. So the, other, they still don't know what's happening. Like, this, is, this is wild. We've never seen this before. They named him John and this guy hasn't been able to speak. And now there's a miracle. And all of a sudden, Zechariah opens his mouth and he begins to prophesy because he knows. He knows there's something far more significant happening. And here's the incredible thing about his prophecy. And we're not going to take time today to read all of it. But he doesn't open his mouth and begin to, to praise God for the fact that he can speak again. Like that's the miracle everybody's astounded by in this moment. He doesn't break out in praise that his wife, who's very old, just had a baby boy. And then he named him John. I mean, that's what everybody's looking at. That's what the crowd is gathered for. But when he finally opens his mouth, he breaks out in praise to declare that God keeps his promises. He, in fact, read it on your own time. He goes all the way back to Abraham, the father of their faith. And he begins to say, the God who made a covenant with Abraham is faithful to our ancestors. In other words, there are many before us, I've been waiting my whole life, but many before us died waiting. And I'm here to declare prophetically, God is faithful. He might not do it when you want him to, but he's going to do it right on time. God keeps his promises. He's redeemed his people. Zechariah's prophecy emphasizes he's not just faithful to me and Lizzie. He's faithful to everyone who believes. He points to God's promises, and then he prophetically points to the coming of Jesus. The second guy I want you to see quickly is, is Joseph. He's Mary's husband, and he takes... An incredible role in this story to communicate something to us that he knows. Joseph knows that God guides. 
and God provides. His story's in Matthew chapter one. And it says in verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, for a lot of us, we read this story every year, and so it kind of becomes too familiar. But just, just kind of be in the moment with Joe for a moment. He just got the worst news that any young engaged man could ever get. His wife is pregnant, and he's been pure. And he's told this is from the Holy Spirit. And so now he's trying to make sense of this. And, and but, but before we just, you know, think less of him spiritually, let's go back and imagine we're in his situation for a moment. And can I just say, nobody faults Joseph here. For This is a rational decision. In fact, the next verse says he considered it for a while. He wasn't being irrational. He's thinking this through. He, he's, he's a man of God. He's prayerful about it. He doesn't want to embarrass her. He doesn't want to ruin her future, but he feels like she's ruined his. And so he decides, I'm, I'm going to just divorce her quietly, and, and no one would fault him for that decision. And yet, a couple verses later, we read in verse 24, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to. He took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So, so not only did, did he decide to marry her, but, but he goes above and beyond, and he, he protects her purity until the, the moment that, that, that Jesus is born. She is God's set-apart, sanctified, chosen vessel, and, and he takes this in, incredible role of leadership in their marriage. And, and, no, and nobody else would fault him for just walking out the door and forgetting about her altogether. And yet, he does this, and, and some might wonder, why? But, but Joseph would respond, if you know, you know. You know, they would spend the rest of their lives uh, under the scrutiny of speculation. Even, even into Jesus' ministry years, people still uh, had rumors about his, uh, his birth out of wedlock. Joseph had to kind of live with that stigma. Like, people will always doubt our righteousness, our purity, our, uh, our conviction to, to hear from God. They'll, they'll always say things about us, but do you think he ever, do you think he ever uh, wished he had done it differently? I mean, think there's ever a moment in his life where he goes, you know, I, pro I probably should have just, I probably should have just left Mary back, back when, when she gave me the news. No, of course not. Of course not, because we know that something happened in Joseph's life that, that changed everything. He felt like he was on the outside, but all of a sudden he knew what God was doing. And not only did he hear from an angel in the night, God spoke to him, but Joseph learned to recognize the voice of God. He learned to, to believe that the Holy Spirit would speak to him and lead him and guide him. And he does it on many occasions. As, as you read through the, the Christmas story, it's it's quite astounding to realize how much of the story and how much of uh, the uh, prophetic fulfillment is dependent on Joseph's ability uh, 
to trust the, the guidance and provision of God in his life. When you look at Matthew chapter 2, verse 13 says, when they had gone, this was the, the Magi had just come to visit. When they had gone, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So jo Joseph gets up. I mean, I don't know about you, but I I've had times where I woke up and thought, you know, I had a dream that just felt way more significant than, you know, eating cold pizza right before bed. Like, th this was... This was this felt significant. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that where you thought, God might be trying to say something to me here. God might be trying to show something to me. But put yourself in, in Joseph's place. Could you imagine waking up in the morning and having that, that feeling that, that God has spoken and then you pack up your bags and you move your family to be refugees in a foreign country? Like that, that's the reality here. Joseph wakes up and he, he, he realizes God is guiding me the same way he guided me to take Mary to be my wife. And now we're here in Bethlehem and Jesus is born here. He's guiding me to take my family to Egypt. And not only does he guide, but he provides. These guys just showed up from the Far East this week and one of them had gold. And so I can take care of my family. And here's the thing, a lot of us, we, we struggle to believe one of those two things to be true. Like a lot of us, we think like God guides, like God, God orders our steps. But my problem is like, I, I just, you know, I, I don't have the resources. I, I'd love to do this for God, but I don't have the ability. To, I don't have the resources. Like God hasn't, God hasn't given me the, 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 the equipment that I need, whether it's financial or, or my gifts, I, I'm just not able to do. I know what God wants me to do, but he just hasn't given me the ability to do it, the opportunity to do it. And then others of us, we're the, we're the opposite of that. We're like, look, God's been good. God's been faithful. He's blessed me. He, he's, he's provided for me. He's given me everything I need. I just don't know what he wants for me. I just don't, I just don't know what he wants me to do. And so we believe that, that God provides, but we just, we don't trust that he's going to guide us. But Joseph comes to that place that, that, that God, God equips the called, that, that God always provides provision for the vision, that the thing God has for you to do, he will show you how to do it and he'll give you the means to accomplish it. And so he begins to be led by the spirit of God into Egypt. Down in verse 19, it says, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. And he said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So again, he got up. He took the child and his mother and he went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judah in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Now, this is not just being driven by emotionalism. Look at the next statement. Having been warned in a dream. So oftentimes God will use our emotions to confirm his word. We don't live by our emotions, but God did give those to you. And so he's been warned in a dream, and now he's got this feeling, uh, this impending doom. And so he withdraws to the district of Galilee. Verse 23 says he went and he lived in a town of, called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets that he, speaking of Jesus, 
would be called a Nazarene. Here's the deal. We don't know any more about Joseph. I mean, he's there in Luke chapter 2 when Jesus is 12, but we don't really get any more details about his life. But just what we get in the Christmas story, this is enough to show us that it was Joseph's confidence that God will guide and God will provide that allowed Jesus to be in the places he had to be to fulfill the promises and prophecies about his upbringing. Like how how else does does Joseph or does Jesus fulfill the promise that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem unless he hears from God and marries Mary and then she has to go to his hometown of Bethlehem to pay their taxes so Jesus could be born in Bethlehem how else does the prophecy get fulfilled that God said I have called my son out of Egypt how's he coming out of Egypt unless Joseph learns that God guides and provides and he takes his family to live as refugees in that country. How in the world could it be fulfilled that Jesus would be called a Nazarene if it wasn't for Joseph knowing that God guides and he provides and he follows the Lord's leading to a small town called Nazareth where he could raise God's son. When God spoke, he moved. And if you ask Zechariah and if you could ask Joseph, they would tell you today, God keeps his promises. God guides and he provides. And they would probably say, if you know, you know. Like there was a time, it did not make sense. There was a moment where I couldn't explain it to others. Zechariah would tell you there were delays. Oh man, did we pray for years for that child? There were disappointments. There were seasons that didn't make sense. If you could ask Joseph, he would tell you, you want to talk about disappointments? Man, when Mary came to me with that news, my whole world was rocked. I had no idea what I was going to do. You talk about things going in a different direction than what I anticipated. They questioned. They wondered. But they knew they heard God's voice. And if you know God has spoken, if you know him, you know. What do we know? The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, the fear of the Lord, that, that's not a, an intimidation type fear. That, that's a healthy, holy acknowledgement and reverence of his presence. And you're not just acknowledging him as like a creator, as some distant deity. It's to acknowledge him as the Lord. And to understand him and acknowledge him as the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But the word that we've translated beginning, really a better translation of that word in the original language would be prerequisite. In other words, until you acknowledge Jesus as the Lord, you, you can't even begin to have wisdom. Now, now you, you might be highly educated. You might have more letters after your name than the alphabet. But when it comes to eternal wisdom, you, you, you have none. You have nothing of eternal value. You haven't begun to have wisdom until you've acknowledged the Lord. And, and God makes it so clear in his word. In John chapter three, Jesus said this to Nicodemus. He said, for God did not send his son into the world to, con to condemn the world, 
but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. He makes it very clear. Like you, you don't have to live under condemnation. You don't have to live your whole life of faith with this, this looming question mark. Am I, am, am I missing the punchline? Am I gonna get to the end of my story and find out I'm on the outside of, a, of an inside joke? Did I do this wrong? Jesus says, no, you can know. If you believe in the Son, there, there was a jailer in Acts chapter 16. As all, all the, the prisoners uh, were, were freed from their prison, he runs in fear to Paul and Silas, two of his captives. And he asked them the question, what must I do to be saved? And Paul responds, he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. You, you can know because you believe. Romans chapter eight, verse 28 tells us, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of who? Those that love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This is what I love about the Christmas season. This is the, the season where, where we can so easily invite people to, to know him, to come and behold him Christ the Lord. I want to invite you as we get ready to close this service to, to stand all over this room. And I just want to encourage your faith a little bit today. That's my whole heart's desire. I want to invite you to, to just to know what you know. And to, the, the questions will come, the delays will come, the doubts will come, the uncertainty. Even if you live a life of blameless devotion, you're still gonna have those moments like Zechariah saying, I, I don't know how this can be. But if you know who that baby in the manger really is, you can have confidence today. You know, the Bible says, um, if you don't know, if you don't believe, then you can't understand. Paul said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, here's what happened. He said, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You've got friends and neighbors, maybe even family. They don't understand your devotion to Jesus. They don't understand all of this uh, religiosity that you make, you make Christmas all about. And you, your, your mind's blown that they don't understand. You're, you're looking at them like Gabriel's looking at Zechariah going, I, I can't believe you don't understand this. But the word is clear. The God of this age has blinded their minds. He's blinded the minds of unbelievers. But you're here on a Sunday morning. You're seeking a savior. There's something in you. You know, this is more than a significant baby in history. If you know Jesus as the virgin-born Prince of Peace, your eyes have been opened. If you know him as the, the miracle-working, healing, delivering Savior, if you know him as the sacrificial Lamb of God that laid down his life on the cross and then three days later picked it back up again and, and resurrected from the dead, if you know him as the one who ascended 
40 days later to the right hand of the Father and who sits at the right hand of the majesty on high and he ever lives to intercede for you and for me. If you know him, your eyes have been opened. You have seen the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. And, and I, I don't know what doubts you have. I don't know what, what disappointments you're facing. I don't know what delays you're up against, but I just wanna invite you in these closing moments to just come and behold him. Behold him for who he really is. And I want us to just take a moment here of worship and we're just gonna sing that familiar chorus. Come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. And I wanna invite you to just to lay all your questions aside, lay all of your uncertainties aside. And as you behold him in worship today, just be reminded what you know.